the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Now, I want to be very clear having said that. I want to be clear so that there's absolutely no misunderstanding when we talk about assurance. The issue is this. No one is saved by the way they live. We know that. We cannot live good enough lives to be saved. We are all unrighteous sinners who deserve nothing but eternal judgment. But once we have trusted Jesus Christ as the one who bore our sins and experienced the judgment of the Father upon Him in our place, that, that changes us. That completely changes us. And God gives us, it's called regeneration, a brand new nature. Peter calls it a divine nature which evidences itself on the outside. We are changed on the inside, transformed, and it evidences itself on the outside. We grow in our faith. We grow. It's called progressive sanctification, but it begins. A new creation. That's what the Apostle Paul calls what happens when someone gets saved through Jesus Christ. Old things are gone. All things have become new. That's a pretty radical way to describe the transformation that happens in the life of a believer. As we've already said, there will always be struggles with temptation and sin. But salvation isn't just about getting us to heaven. It's also about changing us down here on earth. God wants our lives to be different compared to what we lived before. What kind of salvation is it when there is no change in a person's life? There is no proof of a powerful work of God in the life of the professing believer. There really should be some evidence of God's presence in your life, if he is really there. Too many people are walking around with a false assurance of salvation that they probably never had in the first place. It is not our place to accuse them of false profession, but neither is it our job to help them feel better about themselves until they are certain that they have been changed through the finished work of Christ. Any other salvation is another gospel. I hope you are truly a new creation in Christ. That's why we're bringing this broadcast to you today. We want to encourage you in your faith if you already know Christ. Or we want to help you find Christ if you have never put your faith in Him. You are listening to Verse by Verse, a radio ministry of Lakeside Community Chapel of Clearwater, Florida. We would love to have you come visit us for a service sometime. Our church is located at 1893 Sunset Point Road, Clearwater, Florida, halfway between US-19 and the beaches. You can get directions and service times at our church website, lakesidechapel.com, or call us at 727-441-1714. We would really love to get to know you and help you grow in your relationship to Jesus Christ. There are many other messages available for your encouragement and edification. You can listen to them on the versebyverseradio.org's website, or you can download them. Sometimes it helps to be able to listen several times. Faith comes by hearing, you know, and hearing by the Word of God. Let's listen together to today's message. Obedience evidences our love for Christ. 
Here's Pastor Steve with today's verse-by-verse broadcast. Let's open our Bibles to 1 John as we continue our study of 1 John chapter 2. And I want to read to you the passage we began to look at last week and we'll continue tonight. 1 John chapter 2, starting at verse 3. By this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. The one who says, I've come to know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him, and the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Now, these verses we know constitute one of the most important passages of Scripture because they address the issue of the assurance of salvation, a critical issue. This isn't the only place that John addresses this. It's really the first place, but not the only place. For example, in 1 John 3.10, we read, by this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Once again, John is talking about assurance. We know the children of God because of this. We know that they are different from the children of Satan. First John 4, 6 says, We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And then chapter 4, verse 13, by this we know that we abide in Him, and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And then chapter 5, verse 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. Now, it is obvious from these verses, and there are others in 1 John 2, that John was concerned that true believers be certain of their salvation. At the end of this letter, he says, these things have I written that you may know that you have eternal life. However, in doing so, John did not hesitate to tell others, specifically the Gnostic false teachers, that they could not have assurance of salvation because they weren't saved. And the proof of that is that they didn't desire to obey Scripture. They didn't love God's children. The Holy Spirit did not dwell in them, and they didn't believe the truth about Jesus Christ. John was very clear to tell these phony Christians that they did not know Christ regardless of what they professed to believe. Now, folks, I want you to know that what John did in addressing this issue of assurance and certainty of our salvation. And the way he did it is rarely done in evangelical circles these days. Typically, most current evangelical pastors and spiritual leaders will do everything they can to quench any doubts one might have about their salvation, even if there may be good reason for someone to doubt that they might not be saved. I remember talking to a man a number of years ago, 
who I had known for years, and uh, he was a professing believer, but at this time that I was talking to him, he was living a life in clear rebellion to the standards of Scripture. And I'll never forget him saying to me after we had this conversation, he said, well, at least I know that I'm going to go to heaven when I die. And I said to him, I don't know that. I don't know that you're going to go to heaven when you die, and neither do you, because based on the way that you are living, you can have no biblical basis to think that you're a Christian. Now, that, that threw him, and I wanted to throw him, because he had a, a false sense of assurance. Now, I want to be very clear having said that. I want to be clear so that there's absolutely no misunderstanding when we talk about assurance. The issue is this. No one is saved by the way they live. We know that. We cannot live good enough lives to be saved. We are all unrighteous sinners who deserve nothing but eternal judgment. But once we have trusted Jesus Christ as the one who bore our sins and experienced the judgment of the Father upon him in our place, that, that changes us. That completely changes us. And God gives us, it's called regeneration, a brand new nature. Peter calls it a divine nature, which evidences itself on the outside. We are changed on the inside, transformed, and it evidences itself on the outside. We grow in our faith. We grow. It's called progressive sanctification, but it begins. It begins, and there are changes. So that the way that we now behave and think, our attitudes, our speech, our ambitions, our desires, our values, they begin to conform to the standards of Scripture. That is a lifelong process, but it begins at regeneration. And that's why the Apostle Paul said, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. That's why James said in his little epistle that faith without works is dead, meaning that if you have true faith in Christ, you will show it by your godly behavior. Now, here in 1 John chapter 2, the apostle is focusing on this whole issue of the assurance of salvation as it relates to the question of obedience to God's word. And notice how often John mentions this concept of obedience. That's really the theme. It is really a dual theme, theme of obedience as well as the theme of assurance. But notice how often he mentions it. In verse 3, he says, if we keep his commandments. That's obedience. Verse 5, whoever keeps his word, that's obedience. And verse 6, we ought to walk in the same manner as he, he meaning Christ, walked. That's obedience. So essentially, what John is teaching in these verses is that those who know Jesus Christ evidence that they know him because their lives are characterized by obedience. Not perfect obedience, but the general direction of their lives is obedience. And we know from the background of this letter that John was specifically trying to help his original readers because they had come under attack from false teachers, Gnostic false teachers, who were trying to rob them of the joy of their salvation and the joy that comes from being assured that were saved. However, what John does at the same time in trying to give his readers assurance, John is teaching that these Gnostics do not have assurance. He's assuring believers, he is exposing 
the Gnostics as phony believers because they gave no evidence of conversion, because they weren't converted. Now, even though the specific heresy of Gnosticism is no longer with us, at least not in that name, there are still many people who think they are Christians when they really aren't. And what's so tragic about this is that hardly anyone, as I said earlier, in today's American evangelical circles will dare to tell them that they aren't truly saved. Listen to what John MacArthur said about this in his book, Faith Works. If you don't have that book, it is outstanding. Faith Works. It originally, I think the title was The Acts of the Apostles, but uh, changed to Faith Works, correct? I think that is correct. Anyway, my copy says it's called Faith Works. And here's what MacArthur writes. He says, today, assurance is rarely made an issue. Few professing Christians seem to lack assurance because evangelistic preaching is usually devoid of any call to holy living. Evangelists and counselors normally seek to dispel doubts about salvation by pronouncing them groundless or by teaching converts to view all doubts as an attack by the enemy. Preachers are so fearful of shattering anyone's confidence that they seem to forget, and this is a brilliant statement, listen to this, they seem to forget false assurance is a more serious problem than no assurance. Now, this lack of of biblically dealing with the question of salvation's assurance is not limited to preachers or Christian leaders. It can also be true, in many cases, of Christian parents who don't want to admit that their grown children or almost grown children or even children at at home who know uh, enough about the gospel that they might not really be saved. They often cling to some experience their child had at a young age in life as the basis of their salvation, even though they now, this child now has had several years pass and they show no interest in the things of God and there is no evidence of Christ in their life, especially when they are grown or almost out of the home. So parents, I say to you, be very careful in your zeal to encourage your children that you don't give them false assurance because you want so badly to believe that they are really Christians when in reality, they may not be. We don't know anybody's heart. All we can do is evaluate fruit and evidence in their lives. But if there is absolutely no interest, and you know there's no interest, then you really have to address that. If they ever come to you with doubts about their salvation, don't dismiss it easily. In fact, don't dismiss it at all. Listen to them and try to understand, try to discern rather, their understanding of the gospel and where their heart is really at. Now, having said that, we once again turn our attention to this passage in 1 John, and we see that in offering true believers true assurance of their salvation, and in removing false assurance from false believers, what John does is he gives us several truths about obedience to God in terms of why obedience is so important. Last week, we saw that the first reason John gives for the importance of obedience is that, number one, obedience is the basis of for the assurance of salvation. Verse 3, by this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. Now, we said John starts off this section by telling us that the way we can know that we have come into a personal relationship with Christ is by examining our lives. By examining our lives to see if we are keeping God's commandments as a way of life. 
As I said earlier, this certainly doesn't mean perfect obedience. It doesn't mean flawlessness. If that were true, then John would be contradicting what he said in chapter 1, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then in verse 9, he speaks about believers evidence true salvation because we we do confess our sins. But what John is saying, and I want to reiterate this, is that a true Christian, while not perfect in obedience to God's word, is concerned about obedience to God's word and constantly, as a habitual way of life, endeavors to obey. Yes, there may be some bumps in the road. There are times where they're not that interested in obedience. But generally speaking, their lifestyle, their direction They endeavor to obey. Listen to the way D. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it, and I'm I'm quoting this because I think that Lloyd-Jones captured the true spirit of what the Apostle John is saying, and here's what Lloyd-Jones said. Keeping his commandments does not mean I just put on the wall a list of specific injunctions and do my best to keep them. Rather, it means that I am always concerned to be living the Christian life as fully as I can, that my great object is to be well-pleasing in his sight. I know what he wants me to do. I find it in the Old and New Testaments. I have, he writes, the Ten Commandments and the Sermon on the Mount that apply to me. And I have the moral, ethical teaching of the New Testament. Those are his commandments, and I have to keep them. And then he writes, and if you can say quite honestly, says John, that you are very concerned about doing that, if you can say that you are striving to do that, and that is your ambition in life, you can know that you are in him. Folks, I think that's exactly what John is saying. Keeping his commandments is a concern to keep his commandments. It is an endeavor. It is your life's ambition. It is what is most important to you. But those who do not have this concern for obedience to Scripture, can't know that they know him because they don't know him. They don't know him. Look at verse 4. He says, the one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth, and I take it he means the truth of God is not in him in the sense as in gripped his heart. Now, as we've already noted, John was specifically addressing the Gnostic teachers, who had no interest at all in submitting themselves to the authority of Scripture. But certainly this truth applies to all who claim to believe in Jesus but have no concern for obeying him. They are not saved. That's a way of life, not just a season of life. That's a way of life. They do not know him. So the first reason that John gives for obedience being important is it is the basis for the assurance of our salvation. John goes on to give a second reason why obedience is so important, and now we're looking at new ground. Not only is obedience the basis for our assurance, but obedience is also the evidence of our love for God. The evidence of our love for God. Verse 5, the beginning says this, but whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. Now, in contrast to the person who does not keep God's word, whom John calls a liar and says that the truth is not in him, he now tells us that the person who does keep his word, in that person, in that individual, the love of God has truly been perfected. Now, first of all, what does John mean 
by this phrase, the love of God? Well, question is, does John mean God's love for us? Or does he mean our love for God? Someone who knows the Greek New Testament could look at this, and it could actually go either way. It is a matter of interpretation. Both ways would be accurate in Greek, depending on how you are interpreting the Greek grammar. Therefore, competent Bible scholars are divided over their interpretation of what John meant. God's love for us, our love for God. However, it seems most likely to me that this verse is speaking of our love for God. Because the concept of our love for God is actually used by John throughout this letter. Yes, he sometimes speaks of God's love for us, but it is, it is more of a theme in this letter of our love for God. Plus, I think that it is more natural to conclude this based on what we'll see about our love for God being perfected. But look, for example, at chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He's talking about loving God, talking about loving certain things, and and that's kind of what John is talking about, about our love for God. In chapter 3, verse 17, but whoever has the world's goods sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him. How does the love of God abide in him? In there, there he means how, how does our love for God really abide? Chapter 5, I think the clincher is chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. That's exactly what I take it John is talking about in chapter 2. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. I think that's the same, the same thought back here in chapter 2. And so I take it that what John means is that obedience to God's word evidences our love for him. Now, the truth is we love him because he first loved us. But I think that John is talking about if you desire to obey God's word, that evidences that you really love God. But in what sense is our love perfected? That's the second question. Well, the word perfected literally means to bring to a goal. The thought is to fulfill a mission in the sense of accomplishing its intended result. In other words, if we really love God, the result will be that we'll be obedient to him, that we'll obey him. See, God is the one who places love within our hearts. At the time of salvation, God places love within us. Why do I say that? Because Paul said that in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. He's talking about justification. He says, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. And the goal of that love that God pours out in our hearts that he gives us for himself is that we obey him. That's the goal. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you said you love baseball, one could assume that you might play baseball or watch baseball. It would seem really strange if you said you love baseball, but had never been to or played the game. 
It just seems logical that a love for something translates into a desire to participate in it. If we say we love God, it is logical that we love His Word. And if we love His Word, it is logical that we will do what it says. It just doesn't make sense to call yourself a follower of Christ and admit that you don't really do what His Word says. We bring you this teaching so you can know what God wants you to do. The encouragement to know the truth is followed by the encouragement to live the truth. The two go together. We hope you're a regular listener to Verse by Verse. Verse by Verse is a ministry of Lakeside Community Chapel. The church is located in Clearwater, Florida, halfway between U.S. 19 and the beaches. We'd love to have you come and visit us for any of the services. You can call us for help or prayer at 727-239-0306. We'd love to hear from you. If you check out our website at versebyverseradio.org, there are some very helpful resources available. While there, you can sign up for our quarterly newsletter. You can also download any of the messages for free. We are trusting that many of our listeners will want to share the burden of keeping this ministry on the air. You can give a financial gift to the ministry over the phone, by mail, or through the website. We are able to be on the air because of the generous gifts of our listeners and partners. We're really happy you joined us today. You'll want to come back next time for another timely message from God's Word. For Pastor Steve and the whole staff, this is Jerry Pruden thanking you for listening. We'll see you next time on Verse by Verse. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.